morning on so we anticipate celebrating the birth of our Lord and if you'd like to borrow a Bible and follow along with where we're going to go this morning feel free to raise your hands and the ushers will bring you a Bible that you can dive in the word with us our church for the most part as you can tell people are all over the world visiting their their families and we are glad that you're here today um, I'm leaving after the service with four of my older kids and we're driving down to Texas on a nice little short drive my my wife flew there yesterday with the babies, and I would rather drive with four older kids than fly with two babies. That's just my preference. That's her preference, and so we just divide and conquer, and we end up in Texas eventually. As we anticipate going to Christmas into the new year, one of the things we're going to focus on the new year, I've said it before, is that we're going to focus on revival. Now, I have no idea what comes to your mind when you think of revival think about people like just jumping up and down, screaming and shouting, and a lot of crazy stuff going on. But when we're talking about revival, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the head, we're talking about the heart, we're talking about our hands. We're talking about renewing by the Word of God from our minds. We're asking the Spirit of God to stir us up internally, and we want to move out with our hands and show love and mercy and justice. Too many times you will go to church, and you will hear over and over again that the whole point is to get the truth from our heads to our hearts. And once we get it from our heads to our hearts, then we're done. Uh-uh. Get it from our heads to our hearts to our hands. Move out in gospel action. And that's kind of the revival that we're going to be hitting as you move into the new year. And basically what we're going to be talking about is the radical Christian life, which we believe is normal, and it should be the norm for every single Christian. But God's the only one that can do this. He's the only one that can bring revival. We can't stir it up. We can't organize meetings and say, okay, now God, perform your revival. We can't do that at all. But there are things that we can do to prepare our hearts for revival and what I like to call a prelude to revival. They're, they're in a sense, uh, things that we can do to prepare ourselves for God to move in our lives. And, of course, one of the ways that we do that is through prayer, maybe through evangelism. But I think one of the primary issues that I'm going to hit today, and I'm going to hit in the new year, the first time I'm back with you for a full sermon, because we're going to keep hitting this, is that if we want to truly have revival within our church, in our lives, in our families, somewhere in there, as a precursor and a prelude to revival, has to be the idea of humility. It just seems that when you read the Bible... Humility is often a precursor to revival. And if you don't have humility, then there's not going to be revival in your life. There's not going to be revival in our church. There's not going to be revival that we want to see. Because God gives grace to the humble. He exalts the humble. He opposes the proud. But you know one of the challenging things about this humility thing is that what am I supposed to tell you? Just be humble? Just be humble. It's like, what? Don't be proud. Be humble. It's, 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 it's not that simple. So I'm going to hit it today, hit it again in the new year, and we'll just keep coming back to this idea of humility. And so to try to get you in the mindset of thinking about humility, I, I thought maybe I should start talking about Chicago Bears football. It's been very humbling at times this year, but I, I don't want to go that direction. So what I want to do, since I'm from Dallas, I'm going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. All right, for those of you who have anything against the Cowboys, I'm sorry. You may be fanatics about the Bears, but in Dallas, the Cowboys are like religion. No joke. 
I grew up in Dallas. And as you would sit through church, the pastor better have finished his sermon and the service before 12 o'clock. So at least you can get in your car and start listening to the game on the way home so you can watch it. And if the pastor went over 12, he would be dogged and he would be in trouble because the Cowboys are like a religion. In fact, I don't think I can explain what it's like in Dallas when there's a Cowboys game. People are obsessive about the Cowboys. They're obsessive about their $1 billion shrine of a stadium they play in. No joke, $1 billion. But when I grew up, they didn't have the $1 billion stadium. They had a stadium called Texas Stadium. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's a stadium. I think it's still there in Irving, Texas. And it's, Texas Stadium has a big hole in the roof. It was, like, it was very unique. And if you asked any Cowboy fan, why is there a hole in the roof of Texas Stadium? And the answer would be, so that God can watch his favorite team play. That was the humble response of a cowboy fan because cowboys are religion. Now, the, the reality is the reason why there's a hole in the roof of Texas Stadium is because they ran out of money <laughs> and they were having structural issues. It was supposed to be a retractable roof that didn't work so well. They ran out of movies like, we'll just leave a hole there. <laughs> and, and so the cowboys, it's very cowboy-like, and it is kind of humorous to say, there's a hole there so God can watch his team rather than saying we ran out of money <laughs> and it didn't retract so well. And that, that's kind of humorous. But, but it's not very humorous when we have a variety of holes and issues in our lives and we get called on it, and we try to explain it away with some um, spiritual or religious reason. Maybe we have holes in our lives of anger, irritableness, some lust. Maybe some of you are, have these, you're just detached, you're not engaged in relationships. Maybe you're just consumed with your work, you kind of diss people. Or maybe you're on the other extreme, maybe you're lazy. I don't know what it is, but a variety of us have holes. We get called on them. And too many times when we get called on these holes, we explain them away. We're like, oh, that, that hole in my life. Well, you see, I have, um, you spiritualize it. So, for example, let's say this last week around my house, just say for, for a fact, uh, this past week I was really irritable with my kids. It, I don't know what it was about this week, but I couldn't stand a, a good portion of my children. And I was having some issues with some of them. I was very irritable. And, and if, if you were to call me on it, I would say, well, you do know I have six kids. And one is adopted from Ethiopia as I'm doing the work of the Lord. And another one is a foster child from Chicago as I'm continuing to do the work of the Lord. So what you may see is irritableness, but really, it's just me doing the work of the Lord. Did you see what I'm saying? We can be called on, confronted with sins, issues in our lives, and we can dismiss them and, and push them away and act like, who, us? <laughs> we ain't got nothing on. There's no holes here. That's pride. And pride will keep you from growing. Pride will keep you from revival. Pride will keep you from the blessings of God. If you're not going to deal with these issues in your life, you're going to continue to walk in pride. 
and separated from the blessings and revival of God. And that's what I don't want in your life. That's what I don't want in my life. So as we kind of jump into the Christmas story this morning, we're going to look at it from the angle of God exalting the humble and crushing and bringing down the proud. We're going to look at a simple story of, of Mary singing a song. It's her worship, and, and her worship is, hey, God exalts the humble, but he casts down the proud. The proud, And let's just kind of just jump in there. It's in Luke chapter 1. Uh, it's called the Magnificat. Uh, maybe that's, uh, that's, that's from the 4th century uh, Jerome's Latin Vulgate and his translation of the Bible. The first opening words are Magnificat. And the reason why it says that is because it's the word, the phrase, my soul magnifies. So we're going to jump right in. So Luke chapter 1, look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You're like, well, what are you so rejoicing about, Mary? What's, what's making you magnify the Lord? Well, she, an angel came to her, and she's a virgin, said, You're going to conceive, you're going you're to have the Messiah. And she can't believe this. She goes to meet with her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, pregnant as an older woman who's been barren. And she's, she has John the Baptist. And so they meet up. And, and Elizabeth says, great, you're so blessed by the Lord. And Mary, she just can't contain it all in. And she starts busting out and bursting out all this praise and magnifying the Lord and, and lifting him up. And she's just praising him, bringing all the attention onto him. And, and have you ever thought about what, what does it actually mean to magnify the Lord. If I said, all right, I want you to start magnifying the Lord right now on your mark and say, go. Like, what, what would it mean if I said, with your life, magnify the Lord? What, what would that look like? Well, I, I've learned this many years ago, probably about 10 to 12 years ago, from a, from a famous pastor who, who shared on a variety of occasions that this is what it means to magnify. Magnify the Lord. Like, when you're looking through like a magnifying glass or a microscope, what, what, what are you doing? You're taking something that is really small and you're looking at it and you're, and you're making it big. So is that what it means to magnify the Lord? The Lord's really small and we need to magnify him and make him really big. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. It, it is best to think of magnifying God like a telescope looking at the universe. So when you look through a telescope, we're looking at something that is huge, and we're only getting a glimpse of the part of the whole. And, and that's what we're doing when we're magnifying the Lord. The Lord is huge, he's mighty, he's awesome in powder, and we are living our lives in a certain way. We're pointing to him, saying, you are awesome, God. You are holy. You're righteous. We're going we're gonna to worship you with our words. We're going to live holy lives because, yes, we are sinful, broken people, but you are mighty in power, and so we magnify you. You're worthy of our praise. And when you start getting your eyes off of yourself and onto magnifying the Lord, it will facilitate humility. It will demonstrate humility. See, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is this morning, I don't want to just say be humble, but I want to say, look, start focusing on the Lord moving away from all of your issues and start saying, okay, God, you're holy, you're righteous. The spirit, this attitude of worship and magnifying the Lord facilitates and demonstrates humility where your focus is on him. And that's where Mary is at right now. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Keep, keep looking, verse 47. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked 
on the humble estate of his servant. You ever referred to yourself that way? <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I have this humble estate. Here's my resume. I'm very humble. <laughs> this is my humble estate of, my, of a servant. She's, she's referring to herself in a very non-magnifying way. And from a human point of view, there's nothing about Mary that should have caused God to use her. She's a poor teenager from an unpopular village pledged to a carpenter. And it says right here that God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I would love for God to say that about me. I'd love for God to say that about you. I mean, chances are every single person in here, if you have a relationship with God, you want to be used by God. And maybe you're thinking, you know, if, if somebody could just discover you, if you could just be discovered about, I don't know, maybe just how awesome you really are, then maybe you could have such a, an awesome kingdom impact. And yet we see consistently in the Bible that God he works through people who are humble, who are broken, who, who realize they don't have much to offer. And, and that's Mary. Of course, we're not in the same state as Mary was physically, but we're in the same state Mary was spiritually. Mary knew that she was a sinner. Let's not lift up Mary to some great sinless person. She knew that she was a sinner. She needed a savior. And we realize that we're sinners as well, and we, we are broken. We need a, we need a savior. And that's, that's if, if I could really press humility home into your life, like if you wanted to start to grasp and walk with humility, you would start to realize more and more how God is holy and you're sinful. Like how can I get you to grow in humility, press home your sinfulness and the holiness of God? That's, that's pretty much what we're talking about, what it means to acknowledge your humility. Acknowledge your brokenness. And this is what Mary's doing. She's seeing her true estate before God, and she's seeing that God has come down and he's going to work through her who's humble. She continues on with her worship, her song, her praise. Verse 48, she says, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So we're not to worship Mary. Obviously, we're not to pray to her. We're not to treat her like an idol. But we can say that she was blessed. She's blessed because the mighty and holy God of the universe did great things for her and in enabling her to bear the Son of God. And I, I, I don't know why we have this misconception that we think, hey, God is mighty, God is powerful, therefore he's looking for mighty and powerful people to use on this earth. Once again, consistently through the Bible, you'll see the opposite, that God's not going out to look for the mighty and the powerful to use. He's looking for the humble, the broken, so we don't have to think, oh, I have to get my act together before the new year so that God can start to use me. So I need to make all these New Year's resolutions, and I need to get strong, I need to get powerful, I need to feel confident, and then hopefully by the time January hits, I'll be available for God to use me because I'll have it all together. Probably be better to come to God as an absolute mess, totally broken, struggling with whatever you got going on, and say, God, this is what I got. Change me, rearrange me, and use me. Because God has a history of using the broken and the humble people from generation to generation. Holy is his name. Continue on, verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
As we've been in Proverbs all this past fall, we see about fearing the Lord. It's this relationship where we realize he's God, we're not. He's holy, we're not. And we walk in dependence upon him and we fear him. And it makes us second guess we want to exalt ourselves. And we got, we got this, this thing continue to go on throughout the rest of the passage of God, exalting the humble but bringing down the proud. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Here's a reference to God's arm strength. It's a figurative way of saying that he demonstrates his powerful defeat of his enemies and his deliverance through his strength. And he says he acts with strengths and scatters those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Check that out again. Verse 51. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. <laughs> Do proud thoughts infect your heart? Is there anyone in here who thinks that they're not ever wrong? You may just think you get into an argument, you get into a disagreement, you think there's no way possible you can be wrong. Did you remember a couple of years ago when we had uh, a woman up in our congregation testify about the, uh, the terrible and the horrific marriage that she was going through and the difficulties she was having and how God is working her lives? And, and you could easily see in knowing this woman and the relationship that she was in, we could say, you know what, it is 100% him and not you. But that's not what she was doing. She stood up here and she said, you know what, I'll own what's mine. And even though it is a disaster of a marriage and it's very hard and God has given me much grace, I am still responsible for some portion of it. Is that the case in your life where you will ever admit to being wrong in any area? Or are you proud in the thoughts of your heart? And when we get like that, it's all very godlike, isn't it? Because who's never wrong? God. And so if you're never wrong, who does that make you? Oh, God. But guess what? You're not God. God's God. Someone once said that in pride, we are contending for supremacy with God. You like that? In pride, we are contending with supremacy with God. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be dependent upon him. But when we're in our proud, when we're pride in our hearts, we're contending with supremacy for him. And so this one guy, um, he's a pastor. He, he really took off on this. He said, you know what? When I find pride in my life, I basically stop and say, okay, Lord, in this moment, with that attitude and this action, I was contending for supremacy with you. How about you try that? Now, don't do it to the person you, don't call someone out on it in your own pride. Stop and say, okay, God, at this moment, I'm contending for supremacy with you. I'm trying to be you. God is opposed to the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. We continue to see these opposed to the proud. Look at verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Amazing, this great reversal. He lifts up the humble. He casts down the proud. 
has a history of bringing down the proud and exalting the humble. We've got the proud rulers. We have the, the proud and arrogant rich who step on the poor and ignore the poor. And God reverses the scenarios. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And here we have the proud rich being sent away empty and exalting the humble and filling them with good things, including spiritually and knowing God. And the last verse says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. It says, He has helped the remnant of his people, his servant, in remembering to show mercy and keeping his promises to Abraham and his offspring forever. And here we have a remembrance of his mercy, a scene in the disclosure to Mary about the birth and life of Jesus. Do you kind of get where we celebrate this time of year? Like Jesus is God's mercy to his people who turns the humble in faith from generation to generation. Jesus is showing this consistent covenant-keeping character of God as he shows up. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's not showing up in might. He's not showing up in power. He's not showing with shock and awe to overwhelm. He's showing up with humility in a manger. And when you look at the life of Jesus, what do you see? We have one who humbled himself to become a man. And then he died, not just any death, but death upon a cross, a humiliating death. And then he was buried. And what happened? He was exalted. He rose three days later, and now he is at the right hand of the Father. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will come back. And he will come back with power, and he will come back with crushing force. But at this Christmas, at this time of the year, we remember he came, humility, in a manger. And he comes and he makes the offer to those who want to humble themselves and their brokenness and their sin and say, Jesus, save me. And he gives forgiveness. One of the most frustrating things about preaching Christmas messages for me is that so many times I, I grew up in church going through the Christmas motions, just waiting for the service to get over so I could go and open presents. And so when as I'm old now, an old man, thinking, oh, if we, are we just going to go through the routine of Christmas services and be encouraged? And if there's anything that we need to alter and change in our life, we're really not going to do that. So just give us the simple message and we'll be pat us on the back and say, have a good Christmas, but we're not really going to change anything in our lives. And so as we're talking about humility and following a humble Savior, I think it might be good to actually consider, is there something that God wants to address in your life this morning to bring before him in humility and ask for forgiveness, ask for grace, ask for mercy to push through? Or is this just a service we can go to the motions, gloss over, move on, ignore issues, and continue to walk in pride? What do you want to do? We have a history here in the Bible of God using the humble. Use this humble peasant girl. Gave birth to Jesus, Savior of the world. I don't know about you, but I want God to use me. I want to walk with humility with the Lord. And I want to be revived and used by God. So what are we supposed to do? I'm going to give you one image, and then we're going to be done. We're going to continue to worship, and then we're going to go home and enjoy 
our friends and families, but I really want you to think about this last thing I want to say. There's this little booklet by Norman Grubb. It's called Continuous Revival. Now, this is the guy who started InterVarsity. I, don't, I know some of you, when I go to our church, are part of InterVarsity. This is the guy who's one of the founders. He says this. He likens our lives to houses. So just pretend like your life is a house. Are you with me? He says, before we, are, we become Christians, before we are saved and know Jesus, we have the roof on our house and we have the walls in our house. And so we, we are in our house as sinners and the roof is on, we think, keeping us from God, right? Because of our sins. We, we just... We're going to hide from him, and it is. Our sins do keep us from God, so the roof's on. And the walls are here because our sins keep us from one another. Now, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you turn from your sin, put your faith in his finished work, this is what happens. The roof comes off and the walls come down. And, and if you are a believer, you have experienced this, this time where God has so worked in your life that you don't care who knows what's going on. You have repented clearly before God. I need forgiveness. The roof's off. You're reconciled to the Father. And you don't care who knows your junk, your issues, your sins. The walls are out. You have this free-flowing communication and love. And it's like, wow, do you remember that time in your life where the roof came off, walls came down? You're like, yes, you're free. You didn't care. Here's the problem. As you start to walk with the Lord over the days and the weeks and the months and the years. For whatever reason, especially in the church, I don't know why, especially in the church, but the roof comes back on. And we want to put the walls back up. And we want to start to hide in our sins. And we want to look like everything's fine, walking in our pride. The problem is we're hiding We're just dealing with some issues. We're not open like we used to be. We're not free to confess. We're hiding with the roof on the walls. We think we're hiding from God. We're hiding from one another. And I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, if you want to walk with humility continually, the roof's got to be off and the wall's got to be down. If you want to walk with forgiveness and open and grace and humility before the Lord, you got to be open with the Lord. Say, okay, Lord, you see all the stuff. You see all the junk. You see all my sins. Help me. I want to confess. I want to repent. I want to turn. I want to be open with God. God, there is nothing off limits. You see my stuff. I want to be open. The roof's got to stay off. But you also got to keep those walls down. I mean, it's confessing to your sisters. Say, look, I need some help. Confessing to your brothers. Say, man, I got some stuff going on in my heart I do not like. And you've got to have this repentance and confessing going on here if we want to continue to walk in humility and not in pride. So here you are. It's almost Christmas. You have the offer of great love and forgiveness and humility in a manger who's later going to be crucified for you and resurrected. Open forgiveness. I think this morning's the time for the roof to stay off or to come off and the walls to stay down and for us to start to grow and be revived and humble ourselves in brokenness and come to the one who was broken for us on the cross and receive forgiveness and keep those walls down. Keep that roof off so we can have this continuous revival 
continuous revival where the focus is not on us and not on our sin and not obsessing about humility, but the focus is on the Lord and growing in him and worshiping and magnifying him. Don't go through the motions of Christmas. Please don't. Don't go through the motions. May you have a vital walk with the Lord in humility. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would stir us up. If we are here visiting, if we are here permanently, or if we are here drifting, or whatever's going on in our hearts this morning, I just ask that we would be worshipers of you in humility, the one who has come for us, the humble king who is crucified for us. This may this not be a throwaway time to move on to our next thing, Lord. If there's issues we need to deal with, if there are holes in our lives that we have been ignoring or spiritualizing away, may we be open to our brothers and sisters and most of all open to you. And we ask for forgiveness, we ask for grace, we ask for mercy, and we ask forgiveness in the cross. And we want to follow you, our humble king, and walk in humility for the praise and the glory of your name. Amen.